eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Flagship Podcast interview. Very excited uh, to talk to really one of our favorite guests here on the Flagship Podcast. Uh, We usually talk to him right about now and then leading up to the Red River Shootout, the greatest game day atmosphere in sports. He is um, a former Oklahoma offensive lineman, but multi-talented media star, Gabe Eichard. Gabe, I listened to you on uh, Sirius XM Big 12 Radio. You're also the sideline reporter for OU uh, Radio Football Broadcasts. And um, you've got a podcast, the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast with Teddy Lehman. Uh, you've just launched the strengtheningok.com with Dusty Dvorak. We're just happy you have a little time for us. I got a got a little bit going on, Chip. Like to keep myself busy, but yeah, it all it all kind of falls under the same umbrella for me. I really like to talk about football. That's that's what I like to do. So all of those different things we got going on that I've got going on, they all are in the same realm, if you will. Uh, talking about college football, so. Yeah, it's a I got a lot going on, but there's there's a lot of there's a lot of carryover between all of them, if you well, will. Well, you've come to the right place because we love talking college football right here on the flagship podcast. And Gabe, I want to get right into it. I'm gonna we're gonna go chronological. Um, I want to take you back to last year's uh Red River shootout because I am of the belief that if Spencer Rattler stays in the game. Maybe Texas wins by 30. The way that thing was going, Texas led that game, um, for those who've forgotten, 28-7 to after the first quarter. But Caleb Williams comes in, and all bleep breaks loose in terms of momentum shift, and Oklahoma wins 
the game. What surprised you most about that game? I I would say the most surprising thing was in the second half that at points in time, Texas offense just couldn't find the momentum that it had early in that football game, right? Because I, I felt like OU's offense was going to settle in. They were going to stop making as many mistakes, right? But I didn't know if the defense could stop Texas's offense, right? Because, it, I mean, it was rolling early in that game. I mean, anytime you start the game with a 75-yard touchdown, it, it can create some serious off, offensive momentum for you. So, yeah, I would say the most surprising thing wasn't that OU was able to find some things offensively in the second half. I think it was the fact that Texas didn't keep putting points on the board. And I ultimately, I think that's probably what cost them that game because their, their defense just, they, they got completely worn out. And I, I've talked to Sarkeesian about it, and this was kind of the theme for them last year. Yeah, they could have gotten more stops defensively, there's no doubt, but they knew the offense was the strength of that team last season. Uh, they knew that pretty early on well, once they started playing games. And you know, he told me, hey, yeah, the defense should have got more stops, but one more first down here, uh, one more first down there, and you're not having to rely on the defense to get those stops. So I, I think that was it, that, that Texas's offense got bogged down a little bit. Now, they scored a lot of points in that game, so you can't really put the blame on them. But I guess you give, you give OU credit more than anything, being able to weather that storm in that environment and come back and win that game. That one is that one is up there for Oklahoma fans. I, I can tell you that as as someone that was at that football game. I know you were there too, Chip. That was that was pretty crazy, man. Crazy. I mean, the first half was every Texas fan's dream. The second half was every Texas fan's nightmare and probably flip it for OU. But the reason I bring that game up is just what you said. It started the trend for Texas that went in the wrong direction. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian even addressed it here recently saying we were prepared for games. We came out, we played well early in games, had a 17-3 lead on Oklahoma State, had a third quarter lead on Baylor, but couldn't finish. And you're a guy who watches the trenches, Gabe. Um, what stood out to you about the Texas defense, I mean, specifically Oklahoma's ability to just bash them with counter plays. They end up with over 300 yards rushing in that game. Um, you know, Pete Kwiatkowski's got to, he's got a lot to fix or, you know, what were you seeing in terms of, because a lot of those defensive linemen are coming back. Yeah. It, it wasn't just that game. Uh, I think it's easier to, to talk about Texas's defensive line as a whole with what we saw nearly the entirety of last season. And that was a group that underperformed. That was, you know, going into the season, remember Sark thought, hey, this defensive line with Collins and Ojemo and Coburn, that, that was going to be the strength, not only of the defense, but of the entire football team. And they didn't play at a high enough level, in my opinion, 
especially Alfred Collins. I I have been last year. I was really really disappointed in the way that he played. He he's got to find a level of consistency. You you can't be a flash player. You can't flash here, flash there. It's got to be down in and down out. And I, I'm sure a lot of Texas fans agree with me on that. But that group was supposed to set the tone for the entire team, and I don't think they did that. And when I when I turned on the tape throughout the year I was I was discouraged at times especially in the second half of some of those games and some of the fourth quarters by the by the effort level along that defensive line and now you think about the Bo Davis blow up that came out on the bus like it makes a lot of sense I'd be pissed if I was Bo Davis too so just talking to Sark at Big 12 Media Days about how they're going to be different, how they're going to be better defensively. He went out of his way to say that Bo Davis is getting to coach the style that he wants to coach. And he's got the guys that are accepting that coaching style. So I I am interested to see if we see a more physical, disciplined, disruptive group along the defensive front for Texas in 2022 because they didn't have they didn't have that last year and when the you, talent's not the issue it's not it's not a talent issue they just they got to figure it out from a mentality standpoint too many mistakes uh, too many loafs they they got to take a little more pride in what they put on tape and I, I expect that to happen. There's a lot of experienced guys. And I've got to assume that they are, they're a little embarrassed with the way that they played along that defensive front last year. 20 sacks, what? 20, 22 sacks for a group with that much talent? And it's not like their offense wasn't scoring points. Texas scored points last year. Right. When and, you hear when you hear Bo Davis is going to get to coach the way he wants to coach, what what does that say to you? I the the word that comes to my mind is accountability. Right? He's gonna he's not gonna let any of these guys feel like they've earned anything. You're you're gonna have to do it every single day in practice. You're gonna have to earn your way on the field. You're going to be held accountable for everything. And uh, Chip, you know as well as I do, uh, kind of the reputation that Texas has had over, what, the last decade. But they haven't had that reputation of being tough and physical. And if Bo Davis can get them to play that way, that will, uh, I, I think you'll see a, a fundamental change and what they're doing defensively uh, along that defensive front. They got guys, and we all know that all those guys highly recruited. A lot of those guys have been in the program for a long time, you know, physically developed. I, I think the the mentality change is should be the biggest difference we see along Texas's defensive front. And they they gotta play well up front. Yeah, I mean, all great defenses start with great defensive line play. And, you know, you've moved a lot of pieces around in the secondary. I know Sark's excited about Ryan Watts and the size he brings to corner. 
I know you've moved some guys around, right? Anthony Cook going to nickel, being able, or I guess going to safety, being able to play some different positions, moving some safeties around, uh, moving some corners to nickel to try to to try to give yourself some some better matchups if you want to play some more man coverage. But it all starts along that defensive line, man. So they just they got to play better. They got to play better. They got to be more consistent. Yeah. Um. Okay, I told you we we're going to go in chronological order. So um, how do Oklahoma fans feel about Lincoln Riley? And then we'll move on to Brent Venables, a guy that you were in practice with as a player. How, do, how does OU Nation feel about Lincoln Riley? Uh, I would say the relationships is, is rather fractured currently. Yeah. But and because it's just of the, the way, way? It, it's just the way that everything went down. I think it is more OU fans issue. Like OU fans, I believe they can understand if Lincoln Riley would have just said, Hey, oh, I wanted to live on the West Coast. This was a great opportunity to build something. Um, you know, yeah, we we'd been working on it a while and I, I decided that it was the best decision for me and my family. And he said some of that stuff, but the thing that he's sticking to is that it, it came together right after Bedlam. Right. Okay. Whatever. But I I think now in hindsight, I mean, there was a very, very strong reaction from OU fans. There, there's no doubt, doubt about it. And when Lincoln Riley gets brought up still, there's a lot of OU fans that still have a lot of anger and animosity to it. But I I do think a lot of OU fans are looking at the situation and I don't want to say because Lincoln Riley's let me make something clear. He's a hell of a football coach, man. The guy can coach. The guy can recruit. He's a great offensive mind. But for me, it had felt like the program had plateaued a bit. It had gotten to this level really, really good, right? But and it, we we all saw it when they would get to the college football playoff, especially that orange bowl against Bama, um, the peach bowl against LSU, it was clear that OU was a ways off from being a legit national title contender. Right. But now I think a lot of OU fans acknowledge that USC has upgraded, right? They've got a really good head coach who's going to recruit really well. They're going to be better. USC is going to be a better football program because Lincoln Riley is leading it. That is true. What also is true is Oklahoma is now going to be a better football program because Brent Venables is leading it. I think both are true. I think USC upgraded, and I think Oklahoma upgraded. And that leads me to Venables, a guy you know very well. Um, You were a player when he was still at OU. Is that right? Oh, yeah. He was the defensive coordinator my first three seasons okay. at Oklahoma. And I was, you know, in 2010, 2011, I was in a constant battle with him essentially every, pra every practice when we would do blitz pickup period. And I would yell at him if we picked it up too well and tell him that it wasn't good enough. Uh, we had a We had a fun relationship. <laughs> Okay, that's what I was looking for. A story, an anecdote oh, from here, practice. There, there's a there's so many of those just with him. He's 
he's the most demanding coach I've ever been around. And he has, he has an unbelievable gift to be just so demanding and demonstrative while he is being demanding. And somehow you feel like he cares so much that it's just, it's weird. It's like, it's like you still really love him, even though he's absolutely tearing into you. I mean, he's got, he's got a gift for that. And, and it's because you, and you see all the things he's saying now about, you know, this, he, he wants to develop relationships, right? You'll hear him talk about, Hey, it's trans, it's not transactional. It, it's relational. And, and that's a lot of stuff that he gathered from Dabo Sweeney there at Clemson and the culture that they've got there. But the man's as intense as they come and as demanding as they come. But the thing about him is he is always on. I mean, always. And he he's going to bring it every single day. And he's going to bring his best every single day. And he expects you to do the same. So the new mentality in Norman has been has been very, very important. I, I think I think that mentality that Brent Venables and now Jerry Schmidt, who was brought back as the strength and conditioning quarter, uh, coordinator, that mentality they've instilled is is going to take OU football to another level. All right, we'll, we'll take a quick break here on the flagship podcast with Gabe Eichard, a media star, former Oklahoma <laughs> offensive lineman. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Gabe, just as we're seeing with Steve Sarkeesian, an offensive-minded head coach is going to be made or broken by his defensive coordinator. Uh, Brent Venables, every defensive-minded head coach, is going to be um, made or broken to a degree by his offense, his offensive coordinator. But one of the more interesting things to me is that Bill Biedenbaugh did not go to USC with Lincoln Riley. Bill Biedenbaugh, the longtime offensive line coach at OU, who is just, well, you could say better than I, one of the best in the business, continually puts out offensive linemen into the NFL. Um, how significant is that? You've got Jeff Levy coming in, calling the plays, but he's got Bill Biedenbaugh. Do you expect the offense to continue to, you know, base around the counter tray or what, what's your expectation? Uh, I do not. Uh, when you look at what Jeff Levy's done traditionally in the run game, it, it's his own scheme. Uh, 
leaves and it's not necessarily outside zone or inside zone. It's kind of a mid zone that, that they run a ton of variations off. Now they'll still have their gap stuff, right? Your counters, your powers out of, you know, out of 12 personnel, uh, out of 11, some stuff you can run, you know, your sub counters out of 10, like they, they're going to have all of that. But what a lot of people may not realize is Jeff Levy, an offensive coordinator, he's a quarterback's coach, but he's a former O lineman. He, he wants to run the rock and Ole Miss had more rushing attempts than any other team in the SEC last year with Jeff Levy calling plays. His, his whole thing is fast, physical, fearless. Like that, that is his kind of mantra offensively. He wants to run it and then he wants to throw it over your head. One of his things is score from far, which Last year, the OU just didn't have a ton of explosive plays in the vertical passing game. But regarding Bedenboe, uh, I played for the man. I know how he operates. He's as good as there is in college football. He's as good as there is at teaching technique and as good as there is at teaching the game. It was It was massive that Oklahoma was able to retain him. And I I think that him and Jeff Levy are are very much cut from the same cloth and have very similar philosophies when it comes to offense. So, so far that, that relationship, the dynamic between those two guys have been very, very good. And it's going to be exciting to see what the product, the offensive product on the field looks like. But I, some people that listen here may not be particularly familiar with Jeff Levy, but I think two guys have a legitimate argument over the last three seasons, right? Two guys have a legitimate argument that they have been the most successful play callers in college football when you look at the stats. And those two guys are Lincoln Riley and Jeff Levy. When you just look at what their offenses have produced. So I I think that for good reason, Oklahoma fans are expecting the offense to be explosive and to not drop off at all, even though one of the best offensive minds in the country left and is now at USC. One thing that that matters to people around here, I know it certainly matters to me, Levy's an OU guy. Came to OU as an offensive lineman. Like he, he loves this program and has talked publicly a lot about, hey, he's going to give it everything he's got for this program uh, to make to make the offense and this football team as great as it possibly can be. And we'll see what it looks like, but they're going to play with a lot of, lot of tempo. They're going to take shots down the field. They're going to run the hell out of the football with those zone schemes, sprinkling some of the gap stuff. But, yeah, I, I expect Dylan Gabriel to have a big year in Jeff Levy's system. Yeah, and Dylan Gabriel worked with Levy at Central Florida before Levy went to Ole Miss. Um, you, you bringing that up made me think for one second, why do you think Lincoln really went to USC? Um, uh, there's several reasons. Uh, number one, USC is a pretty damn good job. Southern California. Like I'm, I'm an Oklahoma city guy. I still live here. You know, we, we could live 
My wife and I, we could live anywhere we want. We choose to live in Oklahoma City because it's home, you know? But Southern California, I, the weather's pretty good. The traffic sucks, but the weather's pretty good. I get it. All right? I've, I've been to LA plenty of times. I, I get it. There, there's a reason the real estate's so high there is because it can be pretty nice to live there. I think I think USC's paying them a small fortune, which is which is awfully helpful. And I do think that he thought he could turn USC into what he had at OU. And I'm not necessarily saying he's he was scared of the SEC. That's what a lot of people want to say, right? I, I think he evaluated the situation and goes, okay, what what gives me the the path of least resistance to go to a college football playoff? And I think the path to the college football playoff before USC announced they were going to the Big Ten, right? If he would have been able to make USC into what OU has been here in the Big 12, where you're rattling it off, you know, conference title after conference title and going and playing in the college football playoff, be a pretty sweet gig, man. I Yeah, you'd own the state of California in recruiting. Right. And, you know, the Pac-12... Let's be real. Oregon and Washington, Utah, certainly respectable. But if USC was rolling, rolling under Lincoln Riley in the Pac-12, they'd have a great chance to dominate that conference. I I will always wonder. I don't know if we'll ever know if he knew they were going to end up in the Big Ten before he took that job. Because a lot of the times, even though you know the football coach is extremely important, a lot of the times. There's only two or three people that know that those things are going to happen. Um, so I I wonder because now all of a sudden, instead of being in the Pac-12, building up that roster, and they're doing a, they did a great job in the transfer portal. They did a really good job recruiting. And they're going to continue to do a really good job recruiting. I mean, because I know a lot of guys on that staff, and they can recruit and they can coach. I mean, there's no doubt. But now all of a sudden, you got to go through Ohio State, and you got to go through Michigan, and you got to go through Penn State. I mean, you got to go to the Horseshoe in November some years, probably. You got to go to the big house when it's snowing in your U.S. It just, it's completely, I think it's a completely different dynamic than what he signed up for. I now, agree. maybe he knew, maybe he knew, but I agree. I, I do think that. I, I think that that's, that's something that developed after he took that job. And it completely changes what the path looks like for USC to go to get to a college football playoff, especially we, we, now we'll see what college football playoff expansion looks like. But I think one of the biggest, you know, if you're looking at a pros cons list of the USC job in that pros column was you're in the Pac-12, the Pac-12 is weak. That goes away in 2024. Yeah. So we'll, well see. Speaking of realignment, what are you hearing in terms of when uh, your alma mater is going to be in the SEC? Well, you've heard Chris Del Conte say it. I've heard Joe Castiglione say it. I've heard them both say it at the same time that 2025 is still the year. However, 
and I don't have anybody within OU telling me anything, but I do have common sense, Chip. And when you look at UCLA and USC going to the Big Ten in 2024, and you look at the fact that Fox, with this new media rights deal with the Big Ten, that Fox is going to be the main partner for, for the Big Ten. I think the SEC, you know, Greg Sankey and ESPN will have absolutely no deal with, or they will just refuse to let the Big Ten own the 2024 season. I would be really, really surprised if OU and Texas aren't in the SEC in 2024, just because of how the media rights stuff works. Right. Right. ESPN, with their relationship with the SEC, they're going to want OU and Texas in that league in 2024 because they don't want Fox and the Big Ten getting all that attention. Right? Oh, UCLA, USC are now in. Look, the, the Big Ten is the best conference now. Look at how great it is. No, no, no. Greg Sankey's not going to let that happen. I don't, I don't think ESPN is going to let that happen either. And, and by that time, the new four members there in the Big 12 will be settled. And I, I would assume it'll be something similar to what we saw for those four new Big 12 teams that are coming in 2023, right? When it comes to the buyout, the negotiation that three of them had with the American. I assume something like that would happen. Now, who knows? Maybe there's more shifts in the landscape and it doesn't happen until 2025. But would you just think of it from a television perspective? 2024 seems like the year that OU and Texas will be playing SEC football. That's what I'm hearing. So I, I agree it, with it you. It just makes sense, man. I and mean, ESPN, it, it just lines up that way. Yeah. ESPN will, will make it happen. All right. Let me, let me ask you this, Gabe. Um, OU was 11 and two last year. What is a reasonable, reasonable, if there is such a thing, expectation for Oklahoma in 2022? I know Brent Venables very well. The man did not take the job to go eight and four. The expectation for Oklahoma football is the expectation, and it's never going to change. Win your conference, go play for a title. That's the expectation, right? That's what it is. That's what it's always going to be. Now, when you get into the Southeastern Conference, yeah, could could it be uh, a little different? No, I can guarantee you Oklahoma fans are never going to go, man, I hope we finish third in the SEC this year. That's right. not going to happen. The expectation is the expectation. Win the Big 12 Conference, and if you do that, you got a really good chance to play for, their, for a national title by getting into the college football playoff. Looking at the landscape, because there's a lot of turnover, Baylor lost a lot on defense, Oklahoma State <clears throat> lost a lot on defense, lost their defensive coordinator, Jim Knowles, to Ohio State. Where do you see Oklahoma in the in the pecking order of, of the conference finish? I'm, I'm going to pick them to win the Big 12, and it's not because I'm an OU guy. It's It's because of history. It's because of statistics, honestly. And it's because of recruiting. All these things. You look at it, Texas and Oklahoma are the most talented schools in the conference when you look at the rosters, right? Height, length, athleticism. 
Those are the most talented schools. Now, what Baylor and Oklahoma State did last year, very impressive. There's no doubt about it. I think Mike Gundy's one of the best in the nation. I think Dave Aranda is on his way to being one of the best in the country. I, I am a huge fan of his. But Oklahoma's won half of the Big 12 titles since this thing started. 14. 14. Texas has got three. Baylor's got three. So anyone say, oh, you're an OU guy, you're OU homer. No, no, 14, the next one is three. That's a big gap. So I, I lean, I default, maybe it's the best word, to picking Oklahoma to win the conference because they've got talent and because I believe in Brent Venables and Jeff Levy and what their systems are going to be like offensively and defensively. And I believe in Jerry Schmidt and the mentality that he brings to a football team because I've gone through it. I've lived it. That being said, Baylor could be really good, man. I think uh, I am a firm believer that football has always been decided in the trenches and always will be. And while I don't think they have a ton of, you know, high NFL draft picks along the offensive line, especially and along that defensive line, I do think they've got a lot of depth, a lot of continuity, and some physical dudes. And, yeah. you know, when you just look along the line of scrimmage, Baylor's got the most proven groups coming back, O-line and D-line-wise. Now, D-line-wise, you can make an argument for Oklahoma State. Like a lot of players, edge players, right? Colin Oliver, I think, is he's going to make a big jump this year as a sophomore. You know, Brock Martin's back. Tyler Lacey's back. They got a lot of guys back along that defensive line. But they had the best best defense in school history last year. I just, I think it's going to be very, very difficult to replicate that. So when you look at it, I know a lot of people like Kansas State. Everyone's like, no one's talking about Kansas State, but everyone's talking about Kansas State now. Yeah. <laughs> I I think they're going to be solid defensively. I think Felix and Yudike Uzama uh, has the potential to be the best best player in this entire conference with the physical tools that he's got. But Adrian Martinez, man. Right. I, which which Adrian Martinez is, is showing we, up. Uh, can Colin Klein get him to play mistake-free football? We haven't seen it. We haven't seen it. Maybe the change of scenery is what he needs, but the guy's got more fumbles than anyone else in the history of college football. So... What I'm supposed to trust that the Kansas State offense is just going to be a well-oiled machine, especially with a first first-time play caller in Colin Klein. I know we called the bowl game, but there's a rhythm and a comfortability to being a play caller, and he hasn't done it week after week after week. So you look at that, and then that brings you to Texas, right? I think Texas is in that four to five range. For a lot of people, as we head into the season, you know the talent's there. But for me, I know the headlines. It's all about Quinn Ewers and Hudson Card. I understand that. Quarterback's important. There's no doubt. I think Texas has the best collection of skill players offensively in the conference. I think if those guys play to their ceiling, they got a hell of a group. I think the quarterback play will be adequate, whether it's Ewers or Card. But what's that offensive line going to be? 
That's the question. And I'm a, I'm an offensive line guy, so that's what I'm always watching. And they have to be better at tackle. Absolutely have to. I've said it a hundred times. I'll say it again. Christian Jones is a guard. Bump the man inside, please, and set him up for success. You got some five-star guys, right? Now, I stay on top of Texas recruiting. Right? Campbell, I know. You got some big-time players coming in. Starting as a true freshman along the offensive line is really difficult. There are going to be some growing pains for him if he's the guy at one of the tackle spots. So, Especially with be able Will Anderson and Dallas Turner coming in week two, right? Yeah, that could be an adventure. Uh, nope. If if you're starting a true freshman against the best player in all of college football, that uh that could be, you can only chip him with backs and tight ends so much. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think Texas offense is going to be good. I think tackles the big question mark. I would like to see Jake Majors. Sounds like he's reshaped his body a little bit, which I I thought uh, I, hearing that that was definitely something he needed to do. Uh, I would anticipate him playing at a higher level uh, now that he's in better shape and he's got muscle in the right places. But, yeah, that tackle spot, uh, that could determine the ceiling of Texas Texas's offense. I'm not, I'm not that worried about the quarterback spot. I think they're going to get good play from either guy. I don't think either guy is going to lose them a bunch of games. You know what I mean? You got, you got the tackle issue offensively and then defensively. Can you stop anybody? Because, let's be real, that defense was bad last season, Chip. Bad. 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 Effort, questionable. Tackling. That, that is the most damning Tackling. thing. You talked to, you know, Michael Griffin, Brian Jones, the former. Listen, I know. I, I played with Griffin, Tennessee. I know he doesn't sugarcoat it. Oh, he was <laughs> so pissed last year. Um, But, yeah. No, I think you're right on the money, Gabe. And that's why, that's why we love – uh, chatting with you. Okay. Is there anything else? Uh, because we've kept you uh, a good while and you, you're a man with, you know, I'm a man of many words. So I've been, jobs. Here, I've been here this, this long, because it's my own fault, Chip. You've, you've done nothing wrong. Well, what, uh, is there anything else you think is important for, you know, fans of the big 12, uh, fans of college football to consider going into this, uh, 2022 season? I think I know I'm excited as a Big 12, as a guy that covers the league, right? Over on Big 12 Radio, on Channel 375, on Sirius XM. I'm excited. There's there's a lot of unknown going into the season. A lot. I mean, you look you look at the teams that finished at the top of the conference last year. Baylor lost all kinds of impact players on offense and defense. Oklahoma State lost so much defensively, including their coordinator. Oklahoma, hey, as excited as people are about Brent Venables and Jeff Levy, new systems on both sides of the ball. Dylan Gabriel didn't play a ton of football last year, coming off that collarbone injury. A lot of different pieces moving around for them, even though they're talented. Like, there's a lot of unknown there. Texas, quarterback, the defense, Kansas State, quarterback, new coordinator, Iowa State. Are they a team that's going to be better than everyone thinks? I personally, I think Iowa State's going to be better than a lot of people think because I think they're exactly 
where Iowa State and Matt Campbell want to be as a program. And I think Hunter Deckers is going to be a much better player than people realize. And I know that Brock Purdy's got every school record there. I would anticipate them being a little more explosive in the passing game under Deckers. Yeah, and unfortunately, Purdy had turnovers oh on the gosh. biggest stage in the biggest games. Right, and this is what I've always said about Brock Purdy. Like when he, he was a four-year starter, right? He just made mistakes that a four-year starter cannot make. That was it was that was kind of the definition of his career. Yeah, but then you've got the the teams with new coaches, right? What what's TCU going to look like? under Sonny Dykes. Uh, what's Texas Tech going to look like under Joey McGuire? I I think those are those teams are interesting and then West Virginia you look at the last two seasons statistically defense has been really good. They played winning defense. Graham Harrell comes in as the offense coordinator. I expect JT Daniels to be the guy there at quarterback. Are they going to score some points? Could West Virginia come out of nowhere and compete? in the conference race. I don't know. Yeah. But no, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. Even Kansas is going to be better, man. Oh, Kansas. Holy bleep. Kansas. <laughs> Gabe, do you realize that Kansas beat Texas in Austin? Oh, that happened. I, sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to bring them 57, up. 57, 56. I will say this. That was an unacceptable loss. For Texas, Jalen Daniels is a lot of fun. Yeah, they've they've got a guy. He's a lot of fun, man. I mean, I mean, there's no doubt about it. So, I'm excited to see they're going to be more competitive this year. They they had the way that they finished the season last year, and I don't think your listeners want a ton on the Jayhawks here, but they they had they had some good wins and some really competitive losses. And just from talking to Lance Leipold and the players he brought to Big 12 Media Days, they got a little more confidence, right? Yeah. They, they got a little more belief. That can be a powerful thing. If Caleb Williams doesn't rip the ball out of, uh, you know, out Let's of his teammates. Let's not talk about it. Let's just not. You it, know, but fortunately, Gabe, he did. And so everything finished. You're right. He did. OU Nation the way it was supposed to finish. Uh, not so much for Texas. Um, they couldn't hold on to that interception near the goal line and whap. Yeah. Listen, Gabe, great stuff. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Gabe Eichard. You can hear him on uh, Sirius XM radio, big 12 radio channel three seventy five uh, mornings, right? We, I, I'll be back to the afternoon. Okay. Next week we go back to our two shows. We kind of, we, we pair them down for the summer. Uh, when things are a little slower and then once football season's ramping up, we, we get, so I'll be in the afternoons three to five over on Sirius XM channel 375. Okay. And then you've got the, uh, the breaking down the, the Oklahoma breakdown. The Oklahoma I'm breakdown. Sure, the Oklahoma I'm sure a lot breakdown. of, I sure of, I'm sure a lot of the flagship listeners would like to hate listen to that. So we, we, you're more than welcome. And our most recent episode, we dabble in a little other stuff, right? Uh, West Virginia head coach, Neil Brown joins us for 40 minutes talking. Uh, we, we talked very little West Virginia. We talked about what it's like right now being a college football, you know, being a head football coach in college football and some of the big issues that college football and the future of the sport facing. It was, it's fun, man. I, I, 
I think your people would enjoy it. I've I heard that. And I, I heard your podcast after Arch Manning committed. I thought it was hilarious. Um, you know, y'all were like, Yeah, oh. he's good. You know, I, I don't know I, how good OU he's fans, be, but... OU fans have started the like Archanon thing, trying to say that the kid's not good. Listen, Nick Saban doesn't offer players because of their last name. He offers players that can help win. Yeah. Same with Kirby Smart. Same with I mean, Steve Sarkeesian. If if Texas it's okay ever figures... to say he's good, it's fine. It's fine. Right. If Texas ever figures out how to, you know, coach its talent up and get back into the conference title chase, this this could be really fun when Texas and OU head off to the SEC. I, I'll say this. And this this may sound weird to people. OU needs Texas to be good. I agree. That relationship historically, when when Texas is really, really good, OU tends to be at its best. And there it, that drives that competitive nature within the state of Texas on the recruiting trail. And when Texas is good, clearly Texas's level climbs. And for whatever reason, it raises OU's level as well. So I, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. First decade of the 2000s. Oh, it was so it many was good fantastic. teams. Damn. So many players. Well, Gabe, listen, uh, keep up the good work, my friend. And thanks so much for joining us here on the flagship podcast. For Gabe Eichard, I am Chip Brown. Thanks to everybody for listening to the flagship podcast uh, here on Horns 24-7, the YouTube channel. Uh, and until next time, stay safe and keep the faith. It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.